the question God asked of me, if, if your leadership is so critical to your business, then how can you afford not to get them a coach? Hi guys, David Schwab here. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today's guest, Derek Block. Derek is CEO of Touchdown Merchandising Group. He has owned this business for 22 years. He is a former Miami University hockey player, played some junior hockey, and then went on to Miami to play hockey. A couple things stood out for me in this piece. One was the value of a coach back to his hockey days to even now as a CEO and the importance for everybody to have a coach. It's kind of like a mentee mentor, which many people talk about. If you care so much about your executive team, why wouldn't you? How can you afford not to have a coach for them? So it's not just a coach for a 22-year-old kid coming out of school, but also for a 40, 56-year-old C-suite person. Pretty interesting. I also talk and ask him about what keeps you up at night. He talks about culture, culture for the office, culture for him and also maintaining relevance. He, he shares a few good thoughts on to him, what does maintaining relevance mean and how to remain on the tip of the sphere. He's in a business where there are 22,000 companies, 22,000 competitors. Maintaining relevance is really important. Really appreciate Derek taking some time. Hope everyone enjoys the pod. Growing up in, in Carmel, I knew of Miami. And it was a... You know, it was a place I went to camp there as a kid, um, so I knew of it. And once you get on the kind of late college or late high school path and start thinking about school in general, Miami was one of those places that was a, a, a dream place to go. Definitely on the short list. But once you get my path is once you get into hockey, especially if you're trying to play at the Division One level, and at that time there's only forty Division One teams. Hmm the list becomes who's interested in you. Um, so it's kind of a serendipitous that I got recruited by three schools when I was playing junior hockey. So two years of junior hockey after high school, three schools, Fair State, St. Cloud State, and Miami show interest in me. So you're talking in the tunnel to a coach after a game somewhere. And Miami is one of those places. So I... Um, was you know I knew a little bit about Miami and been on the campus years before, um, but on my recruiting trip, of course, fell in love with it like everyone does. It's funny every time we have these conversations, that sentence happens to everyone. I've walked on campus, fell in love with it. So go back to when you're playing junior hockey. Is is the goal back then when you're, geez, eighteen, nineteen years old to play junior hockey with the hope to play professionally? Um, you know, for me, it was a little bit different, especially I was a professional hockey player for a father. Yeah, there's an element to that, but I think every kid, the, the next step, unless you're just an incredible superstar, is to play in college, mm-hmm. to play Division One. Um, which I would, you know, I'd align that with most athletes I've talked to in other sports. Getting to the D1 level is a, is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And then Miami, you're, when you're a Division One athlete, I mean, you've, you're spending a ton of time at the rink or in other cities. What's your, what was that college experience like for you, different again than most that are just going back to the fraternity house or to their apartment uptown? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the college experience was great. And looking back on it, 
um, the dynamic of being an athlete on campus and, and walking around with the pride of wearing um, the Miami crest, the Miami logo on whatever you're wearing um, and representing the school was, that was great, you know, rather than just being a student as far as collegiate life as a student on campus, you know, what our, our team and, and we had incredibly, an incredibly tight team. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard, having a brother that went to play at another college and knowing what the dynamic was on that team. But, but that team environment was, to me, the equivalent of what a fraternity would be. We had a, a rule um, that we couldn't join a fraternity. And I think largely the coaching staff from a time perspective knew that we wouldn't have time. Um, so we had a, a, written, a written rule that we weren't allowed to do it. But in hindsight, when people would ask me a question, the, the answer was the, fr- the fraternity was the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would I would say that experience of just camaraderie in, in school life with a group of individuals that are doing the same thing and like minded um, would have been similar to what fraternity experience would have been. And when you jump when you left Oxford after school, what, what was your first job? Um, you know, I, I I toyed with going. Do I try and play pro hockey or not? So when I decided I didn't want to go playing with the East coast league, um, the money wasn't enough and the risk was far greater. Mm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and much like a lot of, a lot of my friends that I was either leaving school at the same time or that were deciding I'm contemplating whether or not to play hockey. So I had a, have a twin brother in Indianapolis that owned a bar, (laughs) um, still does to this day. Um, and, so I kind of went there as a spacer to fill in and did that for, I don't know, probably eight or nine months, um, which helped me figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, Does he, is the bar that he, is it the same bar that he still has? Or it's is the he, same bar. That's incredible. It's the same bar. It's, it is. And it's funny when you think, when you talk about hockey as a, as a Miami kid or a player, I think when you were in school there, at least back, we, you and I were about the same age. You graduated in the mid-90s. Um, hockey was either watching you guys play or getting in the bus with fraternity and going down to the Cincinnati Cyclones, where I right. that yeah. was a bit more like slap shot, where I think the gloves were off for fights before they even dropped a puck anywhere. Yeah, and that would have been the East Coast League, so that was my contemplation of after Miami, do I go do that? or get on the path of getting my life started. So nine months working for your brother in the bar, figuring out life. What, what did you realize then that you wanted to do? Um, you know, I probably realized more than it was time to um, get on with it, which is more, which is a lot of the reason why I didn't go play minor league hockey. Um, that, you know, there's, and probably the two years I had in playing junior hockey before, which is the path of almost every hockey player it was for sure then, that they would play between high school and college. So you have a, a chance to grow up a bit then, 
um, and have a lot of open space time to, to figure out life a little bit while you're trying to, to figure out what you're doing with hikes. So I had a little bit of that, you know, a, a cameo and, and, um, you know, graduate and then having a summer to kind of have fun and just do something, um, turned into nine months of that. And then it really allowed me to decide it's okay. It's time to get on with it. And, and, really establish maybe not what the end game of a career is going to be, but certainly get myself into the market and, and get a real job, um, which is what I wanted to do after that. Well, and, and going from trying to figure out life to get a real job to, to having your own business for the past 10 plus years, that there's some, there's some real growth, maturity and change along there. Yeah, and so so the the for me it's twenty two years mm. is how long we've had this business. Um, there was a name change in the interim in two thousand five, but for for me um, back then it was it, it's been a serendipitous ride and in business because I really didn't know what I wanted to do, um, but the path of going and getting a, a job and the the job market back then was a lot different. It wasn't career builder websites. It was, you know, networking and looking at the Sunday paper to see what jobs were available. So it's a lot different, which I'm dating myself, but you can appreciate. So getting into a, a career um, for me was jumping into something somewhat as an entrepreneur and just getting started in something. So, um, which I got in the merchandise business, and I, I really. I really found something that I had at least enough of a passion for back then that was exciting and different on a day-over-day basis that gave me a little bit of variety to what I was doing. And, you know, 22 years later, um, looking back on it, it's hard to believe that it was just a a chance I was given something that ultimately turned into a a career, a life, and a, a business for many other people. Well, congratulations. It's awesome stability to have uh, your own business for 20 plus years. So stay there with your merchandise business. When you, when you come home at night, what, what keeps you up that you constantly want to solve for your business? Could either be a short term thing or something way down the road. I would tell you that's changed a lot over the years, but, but currently there's probably two things that stick out. Um, one is, the culture of this business and what it can be for everyone else. Um, you know, typically when, when people, especially individuals start their own business, a lot of times it's about what, what it can be for them. Is it a great lifestyle? Is it, is it about something for them? You know, 22 years of doing this and a lot of ups and downs and gratitude along the way of when the wind is at your back. Um, that's changed a lot into what this, can mean for other people and how other people can continue to grow and have a place to thrive um, in, in really their life, which which is in work and outside of work. And then the other thing is re- really um, maintaining relevance in, in the marketplace. There's a competitive advantage, especially in a very saturated business that, that we're in. There's 22,000 companies in the United States that do what we do. And Touchstone is above number 40. So to stay in a position where you can, you know, we call it tip, tip of spirit thinking, but where we can be extremely relevant, um, 
cerebral and intellectual about what we're doing is critical for us, um, especially in a highly competitive marketplace and what we do. And is and is staying relevant? Is that more of how you market yourself or uh, the enhancement or, or creation of new products to have and sell? It's really neither. Um, for us, it's really the methodologies because in the end, we're brand builders. Um, so the methodologies and tools that, that we deploy into doing that in the, the intellectual way that we approach that is articulating that um, getting mind share and co-authorship from the clients we serve allows them to own what we do as much as we do. So it's not, you know, we talk about in our world, it's typically about a decorated product. And when we talk about us prospects and customers, we talk about the actual product being the least important thing. Hmm. Um, but it's really, it's really about how, how we extend and amplify the brands of the, the customers we serve. Interesting. And we talked before we we hit play here, we talked about uh, the value of a coach. And even at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned it as related to the the hockey team and the fraternity aspect and you guys acting like a team. And uh, when I think of all of that, you get into mentors and and mentees and, and what that exchange is like. So what do you think as a team sport guy, both in, in athletic, but also now in a pr- the professional world, the value of a coach. What's that mean? Well, for, for, yeah, for, for us, the, it's invaluable. Um, you know, something, something that resonated with me in kind of this, this journey of, of career and business going from a really a, a young, successful business owner to a, a guy hang, trying to hang on to the growth of a business and the unexpected twists and turns that the business can have will will humble you pretty quickly. But one of the things in going through that and getting introduced to really great people, either through peer group organizations or directly into a coach, was the value of that. And the question got asked of me, if, if your leadership is so critical to your business, then how can you afford not to get them a coach? So when, when we look at the value of it now, it used to be a, you know, probably the immature thinking of, you know, it's another expense and, and can we afford to do it? And our, within our organization now, we try and have coaching for every role within our organization. We, we hire specific coaches for every leadership role. Um, but even to the extended, um, colleague, we have, portal platforms that people can self-serve coaching um, and get access to growing and developing themselves. But tying that all the way back to athletics and especially my time at Miami, you know, some of that, you didn't recognize the value of the coach then, um, but you, certainly as life has gone by, grow to appreciate. So some of those things, especially with playing time that may feel tough at the time, um, and especially the dialogue with coaches that you may have around that and how you have to learn how to deal with that um, were really valuable lessons, both in that experience of having the world serve you up some things that maybe are unexpected or, or certainly um, the leadership and coaching you can provide either directly by yourself or, or through a third party 
um, to other team members you're working with now has been uh, an invaluable thing for for me um, and for our business as well. It's a it's a fantastic one liner that you just said there. If leadership is so important, how can you not afford a coach? It makes me just think about. I would assume most CEO, CFO, CMO, executive board people don't have that. Yet, if you look in, as we're doing the parallel of sports, the best athletes in the world, every single one of them has a coach at every point in their career. So it's a, it, it seems obvious, but it's probably underutilized in corporate America. Yeah, you know, the, the, I, I agree with that. The, the thing at a leadership level, um, and I, in a bunch of peer groups and stuff, you know, it's one of the first things that, advice things that I can give to people is make sure that you're investing in, in your people, especially your leadership. You know, ultimately, just like, you know, extra time on the ice for me as a hockey player, if there's extra time, take it. You know, get out there and utilize it. Ask that coach for more because, you know, in, in our world of business, the people that are young and successful have taken the opportunity to go utilize what's in front of them for their learning portals that they have access to or coaches that they can engage in, whether they're just asking somebody for advice or mentorship. The people that I've seen in 22 years you know, rise in their careers, become successful beyond the levels that they thought they would, were the ones that took advantage of that extra time on the field. You know, in the field and in in, in your career is your opportunity to to do more, ask more, um, read, um, get into learning portals that your company may give you access to or that you may find on your own. But those are the people I've seen just rise to the top and that's the probably the biggest joy that that I have is just seeing people recognize what they can become and, and building on the confidence once they do it. Mm. How do you how do you learn how do you learn personally still without t- I'm taking the coach out of it for a second. Is it is it reading? Is it watching others? What's what's your trick in learning? Yeah I, I, I it's in it's in my heart to do it, um, you know, and and on my mind. So there was a period of time though where you know a little bit of success can go to your own head, and if you're having success, you know, we we we, we came out of the gate in this business and we got to a measure of success that at the time was far beyond what any of at least my colleagues that I graduated school with were doing. Even if, unless they went to the NHL, they were in a job, their first job, making, you know, starting money. Nothing was, you know, life-changing. For me, when I got into it, you start to drink your own Kool-Aid a little bit, and, ah, you're successful and you have all this. So uh, uh, um, there's a period of time where maybe you don't have that humility to say, you know, I, I have to, I want to continue learning because I want to continue to get better. But there is certainly this trials and tribulations of, you know, of life and especially in business life that you look around and you're like, and you recognize you better. Um, if you want to be successful, you better, you better be better than the guy next to you and want to learn more. And that was, that was innate from, you know, not only, playing a, a division one sport, but 
trying to play a Division One sport. So I don't know if it was part of my upbringing that I just maybe would have hit a pause when I got a little too cocky. But it was certainly one of those things back trying to go play college hockey. It was always, can I outcompete the person next to me? You know, so that 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 spirit and desire um, is something that I, you know, I used to believe you could, anybody can learn anything. And now I, I hold more credit to some people want it and some people don't. Um, so if you're one of those people that has this desire to outcompete the person next to you, I think you'll. It's just a path being able to exercise that. You know, in whatever medium it would be, whether it's reading or finding platforms for learning. You know, it's a lot different today, too. I mean, you'll find so much knowledge and data and training. And compared to when when you and I were were new into our professional careers, it was coaching and mentorship probably only. Um, but now there's so much people can consume on their own, um, you know, in a mobile format. But, but the desire to do it... Um, is a big thing, and we see that so much in in, um, in young people that are entering the workforce. You know, so f- for us, the, the being able to profile that in and out of people is a really big deal for um, who we engage in our organization. There's some nuggets in there that I think anybody of all ages can can use in their life, and I love his line about "in my heart to do it" when talking about learning. A common trait for everybody we talk to on this podcast about how they learn and how they learn outside of the workplace to help them grow. Uh, He's another great example of Miami success. I really appreciate Derek taking time. Uh, Thanks again, guys. Share this with your friends and family and colleagues and Miami alumni. Let's keep it going. See you all at Skippers.